0: Welcome to the Authentically Human with Hannah podcast, where we dive deep beneath the surface of what it means to be a human having this unique human experience. I'm your host, Hannah Skipsey, an intuitive human design coach with a passion for helping others come home to their truest, most authentic selves. This is a space for real conversation and unapologetic truth when it comes to the intricacies, nuance and contrast of this one beautiful life let's begin. Hello and welcome to episode seven, where I have the huge honor of interviewing the incredible Lauren Rose. So Lauren has been someone that I have followed on Instagram and also via her podcast for what feels like quite a long time. She has been a person I've wanted to interview for a while given the huge inspiration she's been to me on my own personal mental health journey which I have spoken about in previous interviews, Um, her podcast was a huge source of comfort and validation um, during this really dark period of time in my life when I was battling with anxiety, agoraphobia, panic disorder, OCD, all the things. And being able to jump onto Lauren's podcast and hear that I wasn't alone and that these experiences were also being felt and experienced by someone else over in Melbourne um, made me feel, I guess, a little more human and normal than what I felt at the time. Um, How to introduce Lauren? I mean, Lauren is just the most beautiful soul. We had such an incredible, um, heart-opening conversation. She is a mum of two daughters. She is a obviously a mental health advocate and has battled herself with agoraphobia panic disorder, anxiety, and she has been very vocal about her experiences navigating these particular mental health um, issues, I guess you could call them, or, you know, I don't like to use the term mental health disorders, like it's, these are human experiences that so many of us experience, yet... I feel not many of us talk about openly and that's totally fine because these are difficult, um, experiences to share sometimes, but I feel that, you know, the more we, we share these experiences, um, the less alone we feel, um, as we go through our own human experiences at the same time. So Lauren's a mum; she's a mental health advocate, um, She is obviously extremely passionate about building a a nurturing relationship with panic and anxiety, which we discuss in detail in the episode. Um, And she's gone on and written a book, which is just incredible. So, um, you know, Lauren is someone that is, you know, really – helping so many people through sharing her voice and her journey with these, you know, somewhat difficult, well, quite (laughs) difficult experiences. Um, And I'm just really honoured to have had this conversation with her and to have gotten to know her more um, on a one-on-one basis and for you to hear the pearls of wisdom that she shares as well as, you know, the experiences that she's gone through that make her human just like we all are. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a really fabulous listen for anyone out there who has battled with their own, mental health in the past or currently, or perhaps know somebody that is experiencing these things or some of them. Um, I do apologize for the sound quality. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to use my microphone in this interview. We had some technical difficulties, so it might sound a little bit tinny, um, but at the end of the day, it's it's a really beautiful conversation that I think is going to um yeah, bring much needed awareness to these very real, very raw, very normal human experiences that we need to talk about. So, thank you for listening. All right. So, welcome to the podcast, Lauren Rose. I am unbelievably excited to have you join the podcast. Like I've mentioned to you earlier, I've been wanting to have you on well, really before the podcast even started. And to be honest, your podcast that I've been listening to for quite some time was my inspiration for starting this podcast. So thank you for that.
1: (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) That's very cool. Thank you. No, um,
0: I think, yeah, obviously listening to Your story and all of the incredible episodes and topics that you share on your podcast in regards to, um, obviously, your mental health journey and all the different things that we're going to talk about today, they're just so important to be speaking about openly. And, yeah, your podcast made me realise that it's something that I also want to start talking about more. So thank you for that. Um, That's awesome. So we'll get started then. I guess I've already given a quick introduction to you, but if you would be open to sharing just a little bit about yourself and your journey with mental health and all the things, uh, you know, in as much or as little detail as you feel comfortable sharing, that would be amazing.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I like that you worded it mental health because I um, In the interviews I've done before, I've been asked about my journey with anxiety specifically, Mm -hmm. um, which has kind of only been limited to the last decade. But in terms of mental health, like it's been a whole life thing, right? Like we all have mental health that we deal with in varying sort of degrees and levels. Um, But I dealt with depression a lot um, throughout my life. But anxiety was something that I didn't deal with until my early 20s. Um, but yeah, always sort of had, uh, I want to say questionable mental health, but always kind of had that sort of mindset of being, I guess, a little bit more on the creative side where I would sort of tend towards darkness a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, always had a bit of depression, but didn't have anxiety until my early twenties when I started having panic attacks out of the blue. I better didn't know that they were panic attacks at the time because I've never had them before. Um, what I thought was happening was that there was something physically wrong with my body because it seemed that every time I had one of these attacks, um, I would get stomach cramps and digestive issues, um, and my, you know, physically I would feel sick. Uh, and they kept happening in frequency and severity. And I noticed that I was having them mostly when I was at work or going to work or going out with friends, um, or just really anywhere where I was away from home, uh, especially in the car. That was a big, a big, um, trigger for them, I guess. Uh, and then over the course of about 12 to 18 months, I was getting them so frequently that I stopped going out of the house, uh, because yeah, every time I did my body would just shut down and during this time i was seeing doctors uh, i was seeing a psychologist as well um but i just kept asking for tests to be done because i'm like there's something wrong with me uh you know i i how do i go from feeling fine one day to suddenly feeling this bad and every test came back negative there was nothing physically wrong with me you know there was nothing to explain how Different, I suddenly felt. Um, and so I guess because of the fact that it was like, it seemed like I was imagining it. And because of that, it became more scary and mm. I was more scared to leave the house. Cause it was like, no one could tell me what was wrong with me. And I didn't know what was wrong with me either. And I didn't know how to fix it. Um, and from there I became housebound. So I spent two years stuck at home, um, I guess getting worse and worse the whole time as well. Uh, and during that time I was diagnosed with agoraphobia, panic disorder, um, anxiety, depression, you know, the whole, yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, then started, eventually started exposure therapy um, and then kind of worked my way back to getting out of the house again. But yeah, that was sort of the beginning of, of where I started dealing with, Um, mental health that impacted me in such a severe way that I could no longer function as like a normal member of society.
0: Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just fascinating because I had somewhat of a similar journey myself. And I wonder, was there anything that you feel triggered that particular response or it was just completely out of the blue?
1: it's, it's a really interesting question because I feel like there could be so many things that triggered it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, looking back, I can, I can pinpoint little things like maybe my relationship at the time wasn't particularly healthy or my diet wasn't healthy or, you know, I was also a pack of day smoker, Mm -hmm. which (laughs) obviously isn't healthy, but um, there were so many little things, but there was also nothing at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's any one particular thing that triggered it. I think it was maybe a bunch of small things mm-hmm. um but then also it might not have been any of those things you know who knows it may have just been that I had one panic attack pan, one panic attack one day because I was tired mm-hmm. um and that just caused like a cascade of
0: mm-hmm.
1: of avoidance basically
0: yeah and i think yeah i can i can relate to that i mean for me personally i had a lot going on in my life when my nervous system was just at max capacity um but it, it did sort of come out of the blue and then when that you know that thought came in or um you know the fact that I had a panic attack one day and the day before that I was fine so then you start to spiral like oh my god what does this mean what's wrong with me and then it just grows and grows and grows and grows um so yeah I can absolutely relate to that and and sort of needing to have, find those answers and not being able to get them. And then when you're not receiving the answers, you're like, okay, well, something's seriously wrong here. And am I the only one who understands this?
1: Yes. Yeah. Like, is it, am I imagining this? Like why can no one else see what I can see or feel what I can feel? Yeah.
0: Yes. And it, it's so hard to explain to people who aren't experiencing it or haven't experienced it before. Um, I certainly felt like I was losing the plot in that phase as well. Um, yeah. And I guess when it comes to, uh, I was, is it agoraphobia, agoraphobia, however you pronounce it, um, you know, for those people listening who might not understand what that is like, uh, because it's so hard for someone who hasn't experienced it to understand you know, why you physically cannot leave the house because Mm. before I experienced it, I was like, why can't you leave the house? Like, it's not that hard, but it really is hard. Um, and yeah, how would you describe what that felt like?
1: Mm. It, it is, it's such a hard thing if you haven't personally experienced it. Um, Mm. and I, I have a friend who, I had this conversation with so many times because he is rational minded. He is a tradie. He is just like, what you see is what you get. And he would always say to me, but what happens to you when you leave the house? Like, why can't you? And I'm like, well, nothing happens, but I panic. And he's like, yeah, but why can't you just, you know, like, (laughs) I guess in his head, it was like, why can't you just go through that? Um, and I think the best way I can describe it to people who haven't been through it is imagine if someone was holding you off a cliff face and was telling you not to be scared like you have no control over being scared in that situation because your body is going to respond the way it should when your survival's threatened um and even worse like you said when you don't understand why it's happening um there's that, that other element of danger and fear. And so not only is your body physically reacting like you're dying, but your mind is, you know, scurrying around trying to figure out not only how to fix it, but how to stop it. Um, and it's just, it's just overload. Uh, so for me, it wasn't, I guess the traditional, uh, definition of agoraphobia is, um, fear of the marketplace or, you know, fear of open spaces. Um, but I think for most people and for me, it was certainly just a fear of being in a situation that I can't control, which was pretty much any time I left my house. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah, for me, I, again, I can relate, um, just leaving the house. I, you know, the, the physical symptoms that you experienced for me personally, it was, you know, just dizziness. So you like, you know, I'd step outside my door and go for a walk down the street, and everything starts spinning around me. And you know that induces that fight flight response, and you just you're literally panicking the moment you set foot out of that comfort zone and into that place where you can't control anything again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that is such a great description of it um, because it is really hard to describe. Um, when there's nothing physically stopping you from leaving. And, yeah, okay, so you you feel panic. Why can't you push through that panic? Well, it is like there's something right in front of you, scaring the absolute shit out of you. Yeah. And it just cycles. It's a cycle every day. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's incredible that, you know, obviously you have experienced that in, in two years, being housebound. I know you had, were you pregnant at the time that this happened? I think.
1: No. So I, I fell pregnant during the time I was housebound. Yeah.
0: How did you cope with parenthood and and becoming a mum and having a new baby in that time?
1: Yeah. So it was funny when I fell pregnant. Um, I actually thought that it was going to be the thing that saved me. And it was, but not in the way that I thought, <laughs> like, I thought that, um, you know, as soon as I fell pregnant, I'm like, I better go off all my medication now. You know, I'm a mum; like I have to look after my baby and like, this is going to be the beginning of the rest of my life. And what actually happened was I went off all my medication and I went, I spiraled downwards so quickly, got admitted to a psychiatric ward, which was one thing, but actually getting myself there to be admitted was a whole other thing. Um, and yeah, so like managing the pregnancy while having agoraphobia was incredibly difficult, um, incredibly challenging. But when my daughter was born and I kind of realized that it wasn't just about me anymore, like it wasn't just me that I was letting down when I didn't leave the house, that was when I started to find, I guess, the, the drive to really kind of challenge the panic and challenge the fear instead of, you know, just being okay with myself staying at home because it didn't matter anyway, when it was just me, like I wasn't bothering anyone if I stayed at home.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, For me, when I went through it, I had, my my daughter was in kindy. So the fact that I couldn't leave the house, you know, there were these restrictions on me being able to actually leave to take her to school, which I couldn't do. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just simple things like that. But I think if she'd been younger, it would have been, um, you know, a different story. But um, in terms of obviously you had a partner, at the time and how how was that relationship you know how he experienced you in that state was he um, understanding or confused how did he manage
1: he was pretty understanding um but in saying that i guess it's really difficult when like because we've been together for 10 years and so when we first started dating, I was traveling, I was partying, you know, I was normal, <laughs> I guess you would call it. But, um, when, you know, when I had my daughter, my eldest daughter, um, I was completely housebound. so I'd gone from being this person who could have a relationship outside of the home to being someone who was really only in a relationship inside the four walls of my house. Um, and I think for him, that was really hard because he had to go to everything by himself, um, he basically just didn't have a partner really. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I think he was as supportive as he could be, but also, um, our relationship didn't survive that, but not just for the, for those reasons, I think, you know, there were cracks in it to begin with. Um, but yeah, it is really, it's really difficult when you're in a relationship and, you can't leave the house, or you're, you know, struggling with panic. You're struggling with anxiety because you feel like there is just so much pressure on you from every angle to get better, and you can't figure out how to do it for yourself. So it's a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's hard on the entire family, um, especially when you know they haven't experienced it themselves, and there's only so much you can share with them without them having, without them really understanding what that intense fear feels like. Mm. Um, I know on one of your podcast episodes, you discussed your, during this time, you had a fear of like losing control or or going crazy. Um, Mm. And this was something that I struggled with massively um, and sort of instigated for me personally personally staying home for months and months on end. Mine was OCD related. I was diagnosed with OCD um, after all of this. Mm. Um, And I had that intense fear of, yeah, losing control. What if I go crazy, um, you know, thinking that I needed to admit myself to Mm. a mental health facility? Um, What was your experience of that and how did you sort of work through that particular fear?
1: Yeah. I, I, for me, it was mostly about losing control, um, physically losing control of my body physically and humiliating myself some way. That was a massive one for me, but I, I often would experience that fear of, um, you know, losing touch with reality and not quite knowing if things were real in that moment. Uh, and I guess, the idea for me of going crazy was that I would humiliate myself or I would humiliate the people that I was with. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, and that was really terrifying to me. And it's one of those strange things that like when you look at it objectively and rationally, it doesn't quite equate to the weight that you give it. Mm -hmm. Um, but for some reason that fear for me was so strong and so prevalent, and it wasn't rational, it wasn't logical, but it was just this intense feeling of, if I lose control, like I won't be able to go on, you know, I won't be able to handle anything. Um, And when I was admitted to the psychiatric ward, uh, it was really confronting and really upsetting, but also I was around people that didn't have a grasp on reality. And it kind of, in a way made me see that a lot of mine was just the fear of it happening. It wasn't actually the fact that I wasn't in touch with reality. Um, so that was quite an eye-opening experience as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It would have been, it's, um, yeah, it's a horrible fear to have. And I think, you know, the symptoms, the physical symptoms that we feel when we're experiencing anxiety and panic disorder can really make us go down that road because you know if you're you're experiencing say depersonalization derealization and the things around you are sort of all um not feeling real or you're not feeling real like am I really here you know they're all you know the ways that our nervous system protects us even though it doesn't feel like it and so it's kind of um no wonder we can sort of head in that direction as well of like shit, am I losing my mind right now? Like, am I here? Yeah. Um, yep. That was certainly something that, um, yeah, I experienced as well. So um, in terms of, you know, when you were admitted to the, the psychiatric unit, how long were you there for? And, and did, it, did the, the specialists or the, the professionals in that unit help in any way?
1: Um, I was only there for about two weeks because it was just before I gave birth to my daughter. Um, And I think part of the reason that they admitted me was because they wanted to know that I was at the hospital so that I'd be ready to have my baby (laughs) because otherwise they didn't think I was going to get myself there. Uh, But I kind of refused to take part in a lot of things because I I was still in that frame of mind of like, I'm not safe. And so I would sit in my room and I wouldn't even want to go to the dining room to be with everyone else. or I wouldn't want to go to the group meetings because it was like, what if I lose control when I'm in there? And you know, that's probably the ideal place for, for that to happen. Um, but I guess it just speaks to that, that intense need to control everything in my environment. Um, and to really keep a tight lid on myself at all times. Yeah. Um, and, you know, no beef with the the um the nurses and the staff there because they were great, but I just wasn't in a place to receive it. Um, and I remember begging one of the psychologists to let me go home. I'm like, I need to leave. I'm I don't feel okay here. And he was like, I think he said something like, That's so ironic that the agrophobic wants to leave. Um <laughs> Like uh, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, but I just I guess it was another one of those times where I felt like uh I felt like as loudly as I was saying things, no one was hearing it, you know?
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, that need, that deep desire to control and not be put into a situation where we're not in control. You know, for me, I've noticed that sort of be a theme in my life from very young um Mm -hmm. that something you feel like has has been a part of your life you know even in childhood where you've had that you know intense need for control or you've worried a bit as a child have you noticed that that's sort of been a consistent thing in your life or it's just been this out of the blue fear of losing control
1: um So I've never thought about it until you put it in that way. (laughs) Uh, This is like a therapy session (laughs) in my mind. Um, I I was always really easygoing as a child, Um, growing up super chill. Didn't need to control anything. Very relaxed. But um, I was moved around a lot. My family moved around a lot, and I think that started to have an effect on me. Um, Mm -hmm. And eventually, it got me to a place where I did feel like I needed to control everything because everything was constantly changing. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely worried a lot. Like I remember sobbing hysterically in my room about a show I'd seen on TV that like really affected me. <laughs> and, you know, like movies like Never Ending Story and things like that, like I couldn't cope with the emotions of that at a young age. Um, yeah. So definitely worried a lot, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting um, because, you know, the people that I've come across who have been through these types of experiences and myself included, um, you know, all tend to have come from this background of, you know, worry as a child and maybe being a, a highly sensitive child as well, where, you know, watching movies, you're just like, you're in that movie and you're feeling all of the things. And it's like, you know, you can't separate yourself because, The the emotions are so big. Um, And so, yeah, it's just interesting that, um, you know, I think that they might have some sort of a correlation, who knows, but um, I've, you know, personally been doing some work in that area just with, you know, the inner child healing and sort of going back to those places where that fear of not having control in my life, um, you know, began. Um, so I just like to, yeah, ask that
1: question. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I'm glad you asked it. It's so interesting.
0: It is, yeah, especially, I mean, there's so many highly sensitive people getting about and they don't even realise they're highly sensitive and we just feel things so intensely. And so, you know, yeah. the experiences that we have as children, you know, you might have a sibling who goes through the same experiences but they're not highly sensitive so they don't have that same, um, interpretation that, you know, sticks inside the body. It's interesting.
1: I have to say though, this is like a side note, but kind of on what you're saying, I have, I noticed when I was reading some like old fashioned fairy tales to my eldest the other day that every single old school fairy tale is like the parents died, the child got abandoned. And I'm like, this is messed up. Like why? No wonder I was, you know, so highly strong and like, you know, nervous because I swear it was always like your parents are going to die. You know,
0: it was a lot. And that's, yeah, it's funny you say that because, you know, highly sensitive children are often like hyper aware of death as young children. And they're just like, oh my God, like my parents are going to die one day. And it's just like grappling with that idea and trying to let that sink in. And it's it's a lot harder for those highly sensitive kids, which my daughter is one of as well. Mm. Um, so we have these very deep philosophical questions of like, so, you know, if the dinosaur has died, then could that mean that we're all going to die? And, you know, just these, you know, deep worried thoughts that come up
1: which I know yeah. I
0: had as a kid for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's weird when you see that mirrored in your kids and you're like, oh no. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's sweet, but you're also like, you poor thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so back to your story and medication. So I know obviously medication is a very personal experience, personal choice. Um, I've been on medication for many years and I've started to come off it. But, you know, I'd just like to hear your experience, whether you chose to start a medication, whether it worked for you, what was your sort of journey with that?
1: Yeah, so I've had a a tumultuous journey over the years with medication. Um, I was always very against it. Um, I, I was put on antidepressants a lot throughout the course of my life and I never felt like they really helped. Um, but then when dealing with agoraphobia and not knowing what else to do to help myself, medication seemed like, you know, when this option keeps getting shoved at you, it's like eventually you're going to say, okay. Um, so I kept trying different medications, um, because nothing seemed to stop the panic, uh, I kept looking at medication as a way of like, you know, something that was going to fix me and none of the medications seemed to fix me. So I kept sort of hopping from one medication to another, which obviously you're not supposed to do. Um, and then eventually, uh, when things got really bad, a medical team that I was working with at the time ended up saying to me, there are no more medications to try. Like you just need to stick with this one. Um, and I was, so frustrated and so upset. Uh, but I also felt like I didn't have another option. So I ended up staying on that medication. Um, and I am still on that medication to this day. So that was nearly nine years ago now that I got put on that medication. Um, I have tried to come off it once, didn't go very well, but also that was during the pandemic. So I don't know if that was a really you know good time to try and come off an antidepressant <laughs> yeah. yeah i was like i know what will make lockdown more fun let's try wean off medication uh good. yeah but so it's it's weird because i'm i'm very open about the fact that i take medication and i'm not ashamed that i take medication but in saying that i think the thing that frustrates me the most about uh antidepressants in general is how frequently they get prescribed without first trying other options and you know when I first went to the doctor for panic attacks the first thing I was prescribed was an antidepressant rather than like let's try yoga therapy let's try you know literally anything else first <laughs> um,
0: yeah.
1: so yeah I, I kind of have like a bit of a love-hate relationship with medication but in saying that, I am on medication um, and I'm I'm quite happy to keep taking it. So, yeah.
0: Well, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, yeah, I, I was put on medication back in 2007 for depression. Um, but there was, yeah, like you, there was no talk of any, you know, psychology or um, yoga or just any of those other tools that we can bring in, before medication which is a real shame um mm. I certainly think medication yeah plays a, a you know has a, a big part in our journeys you know if you choose to go down that road and for me I absolutely needed it when I needed it um but yeah I just think it's not like it's not the the only thing that we, mm. we go to um so it would be great if there are a few more other modalities and tools that we were that were shared a bit more widely than um, yeah. noticed as well. Um, and in saying that, what are some of the tools that you've used outside of medication to bring yourself back into that more regulated state? Um, mm-hmm. Once you sort of experience that two years uh, two year period at home.
1: Yeah um so I I think they would be the the main ones that people would would guess at and I would say like things like exercise um walking was a a big one for me because it was how I did exposure therapy as well as kind of how I found a way to regulate myself um Walking, going to the gym uh yoga has been a massive one but specifically yin yoga has been um, a huge part of my life uh, and something that I will continue forever. (laughs) Um, what else? I, I focused on nutrition for a while. Uh, but I found that I started to get quite controlling with that in terms of like, I better avoid this food because this food makes me panic or, you know, so I noticed if it was a technique that was starting to make me feel worse, you know, obviously it wasn't something that was going to help in the in the long term, even if it seemed like it was helping in the short term. Um, Yeah, I guess just body-based things and then being open as well, talking about how mm-hmm. I felt and having a creative outlet as well was a huge one for sure.
0: Yeah, amazing. I know I've heard you talk about your exposure journey and how you were able to eventually leave the house and go out and you know, do all the things, would you be able to share, you know, what that looks like for you, the, the gradual process that took mm. you to that point?
1: Yeah. So it, it was literally just walking, um, just going out of the house. I would pack my daughter's pram with everything, <laughs> like everything that I would need for a two week holiday, let alone a two minute walk down the street. Um, but, you know, I was like, if I panic, I'm going to need my water bottle and my spare undies and, you know, everything. Um, But, yeah, I would put her in the pram and then we would walk, you know, one house away and then come back again. Uh, and then the next day we would do that same walk and then come back again. And it was just getting a little bit further each time. And it wasn't um, very methodical. I didn't, like, measure my progress or anything like that. It was just I – tried to walk as far as I could and I came home when I felt like it was too much. Um, but I noticed that each time I managed to get further and further out. And then when I started to be able to have, you know, 20 minute walks out of the house, 30 minute walks out of the house, I was like, let's start testing, like going to a cafe and having a coffee or, um, going to a mother's group or like maybe walking down a street that I've never walked down before. Um, and, yeah, it just became a bit of an experiment. And then I started posting about it on Instagram. Uh, I started a blog called Anxiety Mama and I uh, started, you know, publicly speaking about what I was doing. And then because I connected with a couple of people online, I felt obligated to keep going. And every time I was out doing a walk and thinking I should go home, I was like, you need to go further so that you can talk about it. (laughs) And so, I just became really motivated to to keep going and then that was how I got out, I guess.
0: Yeah. So I guess, yeah, having that blog and that community was a part of your recovery as well, sort of keeping you accountable and and pushing you further and further each day, which is amazing.
1: Yeah, Uh, Yeah, it was unexpected, but it it was, yeah, incredible.
0: And did you... Were you seeing a psychologist or anyone at that time who was sort of supporting you through exposure therapy or was that just something you did on your own accord?
1: Yeah, no, not at that time. So I was seeing a psychologist before I fell pregnant, um, but I had to attend her office in order to see her. This was pre telehealth and I had to stop going because I couldn't leave the house and there was no like, oh, okay, we'll do our appointments by Zoom. It was just like, oh, well, too bad, you know? really yeah yes yeah, so i was i was flying solo but you know that actually worked out better in the end because i didn't feel pressured mm-hmm. um which was great
0: yeah yeah it's interesting that we now have all this access to mental health professionals on our laptops which obviously had to happen during covid so at least. Mm more accessible now because I can't imagine, yeah, having to go through that and not having anyone to be able to support you. Like it's just incredible that you did that on your own. Thank you. Because um, <laughs> um, when I was going through my exposure therapy, yeah, that was, I just don't feel like I could have done that on my own. So, yeah, that's just amazing. Um, So... Obviously, you eventually were able to leave the house and then, you know, how long after, you know, being able to leave the house and do the things, were you able to, say, work again and, you know, start to have that kind of routine in your life? Because I know for me, it felt like I was never going to have a normal life ever again. And I was like, yeah. literally, I'm not going to work again. Like I don't see how that's going to ever be possible for me. Yeah. Um, and then next minute, you know, you're working and you're running a podcast and, you know, you're doing all the things. You're like, wow, like back in that that horrible dark time, I didn't think that this was possible. Mm. So, yeah, what was your sort of journey into to work and building that routine again?
1: Yeah, it's you you're so right when you say it just doesn't seem like you're like, I will never get to that place.
0: <laughs> I no. will never get there. No, me forever.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it seemed so foreign to me, the idea of going back to work. Um, because I was like, How am I going to be able to reliably do something consistently? Because every day was different for me. It was like, today I'm okay, but tomorrow I'm not you know. Um, and I was always at the mercy of like however I woke up that day, how, you know, what level my anxiety was at would dictate what I could do that day. Um but I think I didn't go back to work until Lila was about maybe one and a half or two. So that took me a little while. Um but I did start going to the gym regularly. By the time she was about six months old, I did start going out to a mother's group regularly um, around the same time. And by the time she was about one, I was sort of, you know, going out to the shops every day, catching up with friends for coffee. Um, You know, I was able to say to someone if they invited me to something, I was able to say yes, which was huge um, because for so long it had just been no, <laughs> straight away. No. Um, but yeah, I guess it was about a year until I was feeling, uh, more optimistic about being able to do things. And then it was about two years to the time that I was, you know, functioning normally. Um, but I always feel like I have to add a disclaimer to that in that, like I said, there was no one helping me in terms of like a therapist. And so I, I went slowly and I really did it at my own pace. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't think that, you know, if someone is listening to this, that's like, Oh fuck, it took two years. <laughs> like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I think you could do it as, as slow or as fast as, as you wanted to. It just depends on, you know, how, how you approach it, I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it, yeah, it's interesting. You said, you know, when you did start to go to work again, um, that, you know, you'd wake up in the morning and you're like, Oh, what if, you know, I can't go to work today. Or, you know, for me, I struggled with morning anxiety, like mm-hmm. Like just waking up and just feeling like my skin was crawling and you just yes. already anxious before you've stepped out of your bed. You're like, you set yourself up almost like your brain goes to that place like shit, Today is going to be another crap day. I'm not going to be able to do anything. And so you're always like scanning um, mm. that hypervigilance for all of those feelings. Um, so, yeah, the reason I ask about going back to work was, you know, it was definitely a struggle for me as well in that way of can I commit to this? Yeah. What if there's a day that I'm not going to be able to get out of bed and maybe what if there's another week or another few months that I can't get out of bed and so your brain sort of goes to these worst case scenarios um which I certainly struggled with like I was like I can't get a job until I know for certain that this isn't going to happen <laughs>
1: yes <laughs> yep I'm not reliable yet <laughs>
0: And I don't really know when that sign's going to come along and be like, okay, you're ready. You're reliable. This is never going to happen again because this is not going to come. Yeah. Um, But I think you just build up your confidence gradually. And Mm. yeah, I guess you, you know that you're able to withstand more than you realize once you start to push yourself the way that you did over that two year period.
1: Um,
0: And now how are you, you know, at work and being a mom and juggling all the things and the podcast and, you know, you have a business and I know you've gone and become a meditation teacher, is that right?
1: Yeah, yep.
0: How does it all, you know, do you still feel anxious and how do you push through that or do you push through that, you know, if, if it occurs now?
1: Yeah. So I definitely still get anxious for sure. I still panic, not regularly, but like regularly enough for it to be like a, you know, this again. Like, um, but it's completely different to the way that it was back then. Like when you spoke about that morning anxiety, um, I remember that so distinctly. I very rarely have that feeling now, but it's like you're a totally different person and you approach the world differently. Uh, Whereas these days, if I panic, if I'm anxious, it just kind of, it doesn't take over my whole being. It's kind of like, it's a part of my experience um, and it's a shit part. It's a, you know, sometimes it can be a really stressful part, but it's not, it doesn't color my whole world like it used to. Um, and so, yeah, like going about my daily life these days, working and traveling and and doing all those things that I never thought I'd be able to do again. I, I do those without issue now. Um, mm-hmm. which is great. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, I am open to panic and anxiety being a part of all of those in whatever way it it does show up um, because it always has creative ways that it it pops up. It
0: does, doesn't it? And it's of like you just accept that it's going to be there every now and then and it'll join you for the day or it'll join you for the week or the month and you're just like, cool, come Mm -hmm. along, like I'm still going to do my thing. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas before it's like, oh, it's here, so now I can't do anything.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. It's if, if anxiety was present, it was like my whole life is on hold. Whereas now it's like my life continues and anxiety is just a part of that life. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah Cause yeah. That morning anxiety is just, it, it was probably the worst part of it. I felt sometimes because you're waking up and you're just waiting to feel it. And then you feel it and you're like, wow, when is this ever going to go away? Yeah. But it's not until you start that exposure and, and pushing yourself gradually bit by bit that you start to just see it as just a part of you. That's going to come along for the journey as yeah. as it is.
1: <laughs> that's exactly right. I, th- I think a lot of it is waiting for things to get better waiting to find the right medication, waiting to find the therapy that's going to help you so that you can then live the way you want to live. And you don't realize that it actually works in the opposite way. It's like, you have to start living the way you want to live for everything else to start falling into place.
0: Absolutely. That is bang on. You're looking at all of these things external to you to fix the problem. And mm. and it just, it's it stays a problem because the external fix is never going to come along. Yeah, Um, It's a big perspective shift, I think, in that moment um, when you've spent a long time thinking like that. But at the end of the day, isn't it amazing that we can begin that process of recovery ourselves and we're stronger than we realise and, you know, the fact that you're here, you know, doing all the things that you do is just testament to our inner strength and what we are capable of, even when we feel like it's just never going to end. So it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So when did you go and become a meditation teacher? Is that um, something that you've done recently or is meditation a big part of your life?
1: Yeah. So, um, I got certified this year, maybe. Yeah. I think at the beginning of this year, um, but I was working at it for a while, again, going at my very own slow pace. (laughs) Um, But meditation's been a big part of my life. Uh, And I really started, um, I guess, finding meditation when my relationship with my eldest daughter's dad fell apart. Mm -hmm. Um, And meditation was just something that I did because I knew that it was supposed to be something I should be doing. Like, you know you should meditate and you should have green smoothies and like all those kind of things so i was like ticking all the boxes off yeah um and i i found that when i meditated i actually it always sounds strange but i would get these like visions of how i actually wanted my life to be I, these like moments of quiet And that was such a rare time for me to have these just moments of quiet where I was actually thinking about what I wanted rather than what I didn't want. Um, And yeah, so it became a a big part of my life. And I, for ages, I kept saying, I want to teach meditation. I want to teach meditation, especially to people who deal with anxiety, because I know that for people who deal with anxiety, it's like, I don't want to sit with my thoughts. I don't want to sit with my body. I don't want to breathe deeply or like tune into my breath because then- you know, I'll panic. Um, so yeah, it was one of those things that I'm finally like, okay, now that I have time, I'm going to learn how to teach meditation. And I did. Um, but I also did that while having my second baby. So it's sort of been a, um, balancing act. <laughs>
0: yeah, gradual process, But that's amazing that it's something that you knew you wanted to do. And now you've finally gone and done it. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I think, for those suffering with anxiety and panic, I mean, the last thing I wanted to do was to sit with my thoughts
1: and focus mm. on my like, I, exactly.
0: I couldn't even go for a walk without, like, I always had to have either a podcast or music playing. Yes. I couldn't stand the silence. Like I literally could not go for a walk and just be with myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah like you um you know you think oh i've got to do all the things i've got to start yoga i've got to start meditating and it all feels so overwhelming but i think even if you can just sit there for like you know 30 seconds of just not having to distract yourself that was where i started for sure and meditation has been a big part of my journey as well Mm-hmm. so you I think you've got clients and mentoring clients is that right and you uh you help them through meditation and obviously through sharing your experience and and what you did to overcome that particular um you know agoraphobia and panic disorder and anxiety and all the things um yeah. so is that something you're currently offering or is
1: at, at the moment I am taking a break from it just because work is hectic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's one of those weird things where like, I, I love doing it. I love talking to people about agoraphobia and panic. I love talking them, talking to them about meditation. If they choose to have that as a part of it, it's not always a part of the mentoring because, you know, for some people they're like, eh, I'm not that interested in it. Um, which is fine. But I, I also, I guess have this constant, uh, voice in my head. That's like, who are you to talk to people about their anxiety and agoraphobia? You know, like you're not a therapist, you're not a doctor. Um, and so it's been kind of a, a journey for me to, to, I don't know, to feel like I have the permission to do that, you know?
0: Oh, I can relate to that so much. And I think, <laughs> We live in a world where we're just obsessed with like certifications and sure. um, yeah, becoming certified in all the things when at the end of the day, like you're, the experience that you've had and what you've overcome, like, you know, you're not pretending to be a therapist. You're literally holding someone's hand and being like, look, I've been there, like I can help you through this. Yeah. I think that's so important um, to have. I definitely could have done with that in my time as well, (laughs) my time of need.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I think it's important to, to feel seen because I, a lot of the places I struggled with in terms of therapy was feeling like I was fitting this diagnostic criteria and, you know, I knew that they were going to trot out like, okay, so this is the CBT approach and like, this is this and this is that. And I was like, it's, I just want you to Know how this feels, mm-hmm. and I want you to kind of be there with me while I'm feeling it. I don't need you to give me like a toolkit or like a checklist or a worksheet because I'm probably not going to do it. But you know, I yeah. just need to know that it's okay to be human.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And to have that empathy in that moment, and just someone sitting there going, I get it. Like, I, or even if I don't get it, like, I'm here with you. Yeah. And, I, yeah, I definitely found that in therapy as well, for sure. Um, and I think, you know, therapists, obviously amazing, serve a big role and purpose in the world, but, um, you know, it's not always about fixing the thing mm. as well. So, yeah, to have someone who's just there with you, I think, goes such a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that brings me to asking you about the book that you've written, like as you do. (laughs) Um, The book. (laughs) So you've just gone and written a book, um, which is really exciting. So I know you've mentioned that will likely be launched at the end of this year or potentially beginning of 2024, but. Tell me about the book. Like when did the idea start? <laughs> what did it take? Was it difficult to write? Like what, what's it about? All the things.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I, I've i always loved writing. I've always loved books. I always kind of thought I'm going to write a book one day, but didn't know what about. Um, and then when I started dealing with agoraphobia and I started writing a blog, I'm like, hey, this is what I can write a book about. <laughs> like it's all come together. <laughs> um, originally, I started writing a book on how to overcome agoraphobia. And I was like, I'm going to write this book as I figure it out myself. I don't know how this is going to end yet. But when I figure out how to beat agoraphobia, that's when I'll finish the book and publish the book and, you know, it'll be great. Yeah. As I wrote the book, um, because I was going through my own journey with it all at the same time, the book kept changing and it became a book not about getting rid of agoraphobia or overcoming agoraphobia. It became a book about, um, panic and anxiety in a more general sense and how to live while having, how to live while being a human who panics basically. Um, and so the book is called Here You Are Courageous. Which, that. yeah. Thank you. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> it came to me during a Yin yoga class. Oh, uh <laughs> yeah. I was like, yes. So quickly ran off the mat and like wrote it down in my phone. Um, but yeah, just because I've I've noticed that throughout the whole journey, it's never been about um trying to find courage. It's been about figuring out that I have it and I have always had it and just giving it space to um, show up basically. Uh, And so, yeah, the book is about um, anxiety. It's about panic. It's about courage. It's about fear. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's basically written in two parts. So part one is fear and part two is courage. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it shares, a. I guess it follows my journey. Um, So it's like a little bit of a memoir, but it's, not much of a memoir. It's mostly just about the wider experience of anxiety and panic and how the heck (laughs) to navigate life when you're going through that.
0: Oh, that's, yeah, I cannot wait for that to come out. And I'm sure quite a few of my listeners are going to be very excited when that launches because, yeah, I mean, I guess it's about what we were talking about before where we're constantly looking outside of ourselves for the, the thing that's going to fix it when everything we really need is inside of us, and it's yeah. really hard to, I guess, feel that courage when you're in the thick of it. Mm. Um, but I think if we, yeah, talk about that more, and I think obviously this book is going to be a big part of that. Then yeah, we we know that we're more courageous than we give ourselves credit for most of the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, I um, I I think I found that. I mean, it's getting different now, which is awesome. But when I first was dealing with agoraphobia, a lot of the books were about how to manage panic how to cope with panic attacks. Um, and they were either very sciencey based, which I would kind of like lose myself in the meatiness of this book, or they would be, um, very kind of like, uh, I don't know, like not sarcastic, but not as serious as a book about something so fear-based should be, I guess. Um, and I felt like there was a real gap in the market for a, a book that was honest and a book that was real and a book that a book that talked about things like, what if, you know, what if I shit my pants when I'm panicking, or, you know, those kind of topics. Um so it was really important to me to to write about that kind of stuff because I, I really didn't see that book anywhere. And they always say, if you don't see the book you want, write it. <laughs>
0: I love that so much. And I think, yeah, that's a big part of anxiety, isn't it? It's just the what ifs, like what what if that happens? And, you know, part of the reason that I started this podcast is to talk about those more taboo themes as well, like particularly around OCD, um, which I didn't know I had, but I've had my entire life. Um, And, you know, OCD, not in the context that people, um, you know, traditionally see it as, as you know, checking and turning light switches off all the time and that's definitely part of it, but there's so much more to it and it's there's lots of it that people don't talk about because it's shameful um, and it is more more taboo. So I think, yeah, we need to have these conversations and, you know, we're all human and these are all new normal-ish human experiences that people go through. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a fantastic book. So thank you for writing it.
1: good i'm glad it finally got done
0: um so just to finish up then i guess if there's someone who is listening to this recording right now and they are going through a really difficult time with panic anxiety agoraphobia and they just feel like we both felt like this is literally gonna be my life, like we're never I'm never gonna work again, I'm never gonna have a normal life again, and it just feels too much. What would you say to them in a nutshell?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um I my my biggest thing would be kind of like what you just said, in that it's it's okay to have these thoughts and to, to be experiencing this part of being human as messy and as awful as it feels. Um, there's so many people that feel this way. And I think the best thing you can do for yourself is to stop fighting it and to stop trying to push it away and to stop trying to fix yourself or cure yourself. Um, Because ultimately the more you fight with your anxiety and the more you push against it, the more you are creating a gap between who you think you should be and who you are. Um, And you can do that for a long time. You can, you know, function even while trying to push away anxiety to a degree, but eventually you're going to have to face it. Um, So yeah, stop fighting it and reach out to people uh, talk about how you're feeling. Um, you know, there's been people I've spoken to online who have, have messaged me and have said, I felt this too. And I can't tell you how, like, not just validating that has been for me, but how, um, like heart opening that's been for me, you know, even speaking to you and knowing that, like, you felt this way at times, I would look at you and think, this person is so confident. This person is so put together. You know what I mean? Like I would never guess that about you. Um, So yeah, there's just so much of being human that we don't realize is normal. And yeah, I, that was a long winded way of saying, reach out and don't fight.
0: (laughs) No, I love that. I think those are just (laughs) some of the most important things because we, we, we're not meant to go through this human experience alone But in hard moments when we feel like it's just us, then we tend to suffer in silence. Um, And I guess there's, you know, a lot of reasons for that. Um, But, yeah, like you said, just having a conversation with one person and letting them know how you're feeling and that Mm. can sometimes be enough um, to start to sort of crawl out of the hole that you feel like you're in. Yeah. Um, And yeah, the fact that you've, you've said, don't fight it. I mean, that was just like such a wild concept to me when I first understood that I wasn't actually meant to try and wait for it to go away or try to battle it every single day. It was like every morning, here we go again. Let's try to get rid of this feeling. And then you're just stuck in that, that cycle and it just grows and grows and grows and grows. Yeah. And, yeah someone you know you're on a podcast or someone says to you like you're not meant to fight it it's going to be there it's okay like just go about your day as easy as that you know sounds it's not yeah. <laughs> it's really not <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah I think that's fantastic advice don't fight it and reach out because you're absolutely not alone um
1: it feels scary to say, don't fight it, though. I have to say, like, even as I was saying it, I was like, fuck, someone's going to take this the wrong way. But like, because I think we're, we're taught, like you have to fight and there's so many memes and things about anxiety that say like, don't let it win, you know, like you're stronger than anxiety. And I just, I just think that approach sets us up to fail because ultimately you're saying um, you're the enemy, you're fighting yourself. And that's never going to be a battle that you win.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Um, Even, you know, in the OCD world, you know, sometimes people will talk about referring to it as like your OCD monster or something when, you know, the way that your body is responding in these moments, it is your body trying to protect you. Like it's not, there's not something that's working against you. Mm -hmm. and I think um yes changing that perspective and you know my body's just trying to protect me for whatever reason There's, you know lots of reasons that this might be happening but I don't need to fight constantly because you just get so tangled up in it and then you know Mm -hmm. it's bigger than Ben so um yeah, thank you for that. And where can people find you? Because I'm sure people will want to um, learn about your book and you know, check out your website and learn all about you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so I am at imlaurenrose.com. Um and you can also find me on YouTube. If you generally search Lauren Rose Toilet Anxiety, it'll be <laughs> that'll be me that pops up. <laughs> um and I'm on Instagram as well, except I'm not super active on there. Um, But, yeah, I'm always available for messages and emails and, yeah.
0: Yeah, amazing. And I guess you'll let everyone know when your book launches on the
1: socials I will. I'll be shouting it from the rooftops.
0: <laughs> For me, that's going to be yep. a huge, huge, huge moment. So just congratulations on everything you've achieved. Like, isn't it amazing to look back at where you were and to see, you know, who you are now and what you're doing. And, you know, you're a mom of two girls. You've, you've got a, a job that you like, you've got a business, you've written a book, you know, you've, you've studied to become a meditation teacher and you're helping others, you know, overcome all of these really difficult human experiences. So like just hats off to you. So thank you for yeah, coming on and sharing your story and um, being so open and vulnerable. I really appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners do too.
1: Thank you for summing it all up like that. It was, I was just listening, thinking, wow,
0: I (laughs) did do all of that. Yay!" It's very hard to see sometimes when, when it's us, but, yeah, it's, it's incredible. So, yeah, thank you for everything that you do.
1: Thank you. Oh, Thank you so much for having me. It's it's so awesome to have these conversations and to to meet people who are so kind and nice and who I, yeah, like I said, just I would have always just thought, ah, put-together person and oh, to no. find out you're human as well. It's like, yay.
0: <laughs> totally human, not put together at all. <laughs> No, no. It's all it's all human, isn't it? So, Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Pleasure.
0: Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode and found something juicy in its content that you can take away with you today. Thank you so much for listening and choosing to be here with me as a member of my audience. I feel truly honored to be sharing this content and energy with you. If you did find value in what was shared with you today, can I please ask this one thing of you? Share the episode on your socials, tagging me at humanlydesigned underscore, so we can reach more people with these important messages. And don't forget to drop me a DM and say hi. I literally love connecting with you all and hearing all about your unique human experiences. Until next time.